welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Some of you, uh, you know, during that turn and greet time that we have, you freeze up. You know, you don't, you don't like that. Um, I think I used to be a little bit that way, and then I became a pastor. Like, when you become a pastor, you... They don't teach you this in seminary, but you learn this on the job. You learn to master small talk. You know? You know small talk? Yeah. Traffic, patterns, weather, sports. At some level, you've got to navigate your way around small talk because you meet a lot of new people, and you meet a lot of people that are kind of new to you or to the community. And small talk is very predictable, right? It's very predictable. It starts like with three general questions Americans ask. This is a very, I think, typical American thing. What is your name, what do you do, and where do you live? Once you cover that, you can kind of go down different avenues of small talk to find your way through a conversation that might last five to seven minutes, and then you're distracted, and then you leave. That's like a good small talk, right? It's pretty solid. What's your name, you know, uh, what do you do, and where do you live? Your, your name, your occupation, and your geography. And then certain things can kind of like go down different rabbit holes, right? If you're like, you know, find out, whenever I find out somebody lives in Morgan Hill, I'm like, wow, that seems far away, you know? Um, I used to live in Redwood City, and I would tell people I lived in Redwood City, and they'd be like, what are you, where is that? I mean, like, it's just Bay, Bay Area geography can be like all these deep dives into traffic patterns and all that stuff. Uh, you know what's interesting, though, is like, statistics show that we actually judge people whether they're going to be like our friend or not, or whether we're going to hire someone you've heard this probably, within like 15 to 90 seconds. So what I'm saying is within the small talk zone, we make the judgments upon which uh, we will be their friend or be in relationship with them or not be in relationship with them, which to me is not accurate and not healthy. If we're judging people based off their name, their occupation, and their geography, we don't really know the most important things about them. We haven't asked if they're married or not, we don't know if they have any kids. We don't know who their parents are. Those are probably the more important things about the person is what communities they were attached to or are currently attached to than rather their, what they do for a living or where they live. It, it's probably more important for us to know kind of the person before we make those judgments. And yet our brains are just hardwired to make those judgments of like, you know, is this person going to do something for my career? <laughs> yes or no? And then we're like, I want to get to know you more if you're going to do something for my career. Uh, you know, is this person uh, live near me? Then I, like, am interested, right? And we go down those rabbit trails. But we miss maybe some of the more important things about each other. And this has led, I think, to, like, this idea of rootlessness. Here's what I mean. Because we judge people so quickly based off of different small talk and short interactions, and we jump out of those short interactions, we actually start to then, um, or we, sorry, we stop setting roots down anywhere. Put on top of this, the Bay Area, it's just a transient place, right? And so we kind of consider, okay, if this person doesn't have X, Y, and Z, they're not in my same demographic, they don't have my same life stage, all of these things we view through a very individualistic lens, and we look at them and we go, if they're not working for me, I'm out. And also, if, you know, we also judge people going, are they going to leave, right? And, you know, a very, like, a long time at a job in the Silicon Valley is like two years. You know, so we think like, well, if this person's going to be gone in 18 months, why do I start to get to know them now? Or you might be thinking, I might move in 18 months because I live in the Bay Area and it's super expensive and I might find a job somewhere else. And so why put roots down, right? And we just kind of stay then at the small talk surface level. 
Like, you can talk fantasy football all day. So you're like, I'll just stay there, you know? I'll just stay at that level of conversation. And that has led to a crisis, I think, in the Bay Area of rootlessness, of people not feeling that they really belong here for a long time. It takes people a long time. Look at this quote from the theologian Walter Brueggemann. He says this, The urban promise, which we are a part of, whether you like it or not here, concerned human persons who could lead detached, unrooted lives of endless choice and no commitment. That we could live wherever we want, go wherever we want, relate with anybody we want through social media and through technology. It was glamorized around the virtues of mobility and anonymity. Mobility, cars, trains, transportation, all that stuff. Anonymity, online, social media. That seems so full of promise for freedom and self-actualization, but it has failed. It is now clear that a sense of place is not a human hunger that the urban promise has met. Look at it. it is rootlessness, not meaninglessness, that characterizes the current crisis. This is precisely why I think some of us come to church, is this right here. There's a meaningless, or there's a rootlessness that supersedes any kind of meaning, and we just want to plant roots. We just want to find our people. And it's so hard in the 21st century to find our people. And through this series, I want to ask these questions. What does it mean to put down roots together here in the Bay Area? What does it mean... And what is the soil into which our roots might grow? What does it take to put down roots? There's a story that comes to my mind in Mark chapter 10. It's the story of a rich young man. And this rich young man was seeking to set down roots. And he was seeking Jesus in the story in in the gospel of Mark to seek Jesus' community. And this young man was seeking to be his disciple. To be a disciple in that era was to be a student or an apprentice, and that student was to learn in order to practice. It wasn't just to learn head knowledge, it was to learn to practice, like an apprentice would, right? Or a protege. That's why we use the word protege for our nine-month leadership development program. In other words, how do I put down roots? How do I go past the small talk and really learn from life in Jesus and join in Jesus' community? And this young man approaches Jesus, and he says, I kept all the rules, Jesus. How, how, what must I do next? What's next? to join into your kingdom life. And other than these rules, what must I do? Jesus says this to this rich man. He says, sell everything you own, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Give everything up and then join. Come and follow me. Sell everything you own. And the scriptures say that the young man goes away with a sorrowful face. And he couldn't do that, the scriptures say, because, quote, he had many possessions. Maybe you've heard this story before. So this rich man, he comes, he says, I want to join Jesus. What is next? What is eternal life? What is the kingdom? The thing that you are speaking of, what must I do? And Jesus says, I want you to change your entire value system. Small ask. I want you to upend and reverse your entire value system. You value money. I want you to get rid of money and just value the community. And it says that this young man could not do that. I find this to be analogous to the Bay Area. We want success and community. We want riches and roots. Jesus is going to answer this question. Is that possible? Can you have both? This is what he does. Look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 23. He, he turns to his disciples and he says this. After this man walks away, he can't, he can't give up what he's been asked to give up for the community. Jesus looked around, he says this, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, which is Jesus' community, his kingdom community. So this is going to be difficult, 24. 
And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He repeats it. He says it is very difficult. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? Jesus, if I can't be rich and enter the kingdom, what do I do? If I can't have it all and also have you, then who's possible to be saved? 27. Jesus looked at them and says, see, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Look at Peter's reaction. One of his disciples, he's one of the close ones. He's in, he's in the community. 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. It seems maybe like a strange text here to inspect while we're inspecting this idea of community and togetherness. But let's look at three realities of community that we see in this text. The first is this. Everyone is offered everything from Jesus. This is so important about Christian community, about church life. Everyone is offered everything from Jesus. That's the reality of salvation. That there is not one person that is excluded from the everything of God. God offers himself to all people, even the rich. You see, rich people like to say, man, God saves everyone, even the poor. But Jesus says, God saves everyone, even the rich. Even the rich are let in. You see, we think we would assume the rich would be let in. Jesus says, I wouldn't assume that. I, I, I would not assume that the rich will be let in. He says, I will accept everyone, though, even the rich. He says, it's, it's impossible with man. There's no man-made way a person can look at their riches and become a Christian. But with God, all things are possible. All are welcome to the table of salvation. Salvation through Jesus Christ is available to people rich, poor, religious, non-religious, good-looking, not good-looking, uneducated or educated, American or not, documented or undocumented, unemployed or gainfully employed, all races, Hispanic, black, Asian, Indian, European, white. The work of Jesus has been made global and possible for all people, and everyone is offered everything in Jesus, and that's where we start with community. We start that the doors to the kingdom have been flung wide open. How? How are things made possible in Jesus? How does he make it possible? You know, one answer is just, well, he's God, and he just does whatever he says goes. But do you know, Jesus actually talks about how, how is it possible that roots, putting roots down, is available to all? How do we know the soil is available to all? Jesus has this strange line in John 12, 24. We'll come back to it later, but just look at it right here, right now. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus says this, the reason all are welcome in to plant roots into this community is because I have gone first to plant the roots. I am the seed that's gone into the soil broken and put the roots down. The nutrients are there. 
I'm the one who has gone first to break of myself. The gospel premise is this. Jesus is the one who gave the riches first. You see, when he looks at this rich man and asks for his wealth, you think that's unfair. It's only unfair if he hadn't done it first. What is the gospel other than the rich man, Jesus, high and lifted up, exalted as the king of kings, giving up all things? It says in scripture, he became poor. And by his poverty, we are made rich. And so Jesus is the, is the seed that broke in the soil to put the roots down. Jesus is the rich man who gave up his riches to come to earth to die a criminal's death when he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. If that's the gospel premise, if he went first, don't you think we might do the same? If he patterned his life in such a way, don't you think that there's all available to all people? There's no discrimination with the gospel. The gospel is available to all people. That's the premise. And so we follow the same way. If everyone is offered everything from Jesus, we see we will pattern, though, the same way after the gospel to point number two. Everyone will bring everything to Jesus. So because Jesus gave it all, Jesus can ask for it all. Jesus gave the riches of heaven up so he can ask a rich man for riches. Jesus gave up his comfort so he can ask the comfortable for their comfort. And so when we follow Jesus, when we step into his community, we got to understand the doors are wide open, friends. But upon entering into the doors of the kingdom together into the community, we must remember we will do the same thing Jesus has asked because we are living in the way of Jesus. That's what discipleship is. That's the reality that salvation leads to discipleship. That being saved is not just an ideological awakening or some intellectual assent to certain doctrinal truths. No, it's a way, it's a pattern of life. It's a stepping into under the lordship of Jesus saying, Jesus, you now are my king, I do what you say. I operate in the ways in which you desire me to operate. To receive the community of Jesus, in other words, we must leave the community of the world. To receive requires a leaving. This is true about just normal life, okay? If you want to say yes to a woman or a man in marriage, if you want to say yes to them, it means you say a million upon millions of no's. Not that your options are that broad. Let's not get carried away. Just chill. You're a beautiful snowflake, but you ain't that cute, okay? Um, To say yes requires many no's. And a yes to Jesus requires many no's. Jesus says, you know, those who have left houses and brothers and sisters for my sake and for the gospel, he's like, they'll be set over a hundredfold, but you got to leave the houses, brothers and mothers. Now, listen to what Jesus is not saying. Because you might say, well, do I have to leave my family now? Do I have to disown my family? Jesus is not saying this. You know, we're in Mark chapter 10 right now. If you just go, gosh, a page or two before in Mark chapter 7, you'll see Jesus rebuking religious fundamentalists for taking religious obligations instead of taking care of their parents. So that's not what Jesus, Jesus is not saying, neglect your parents, neglect your brothers and sisters, because Jesus just rebuked religious fundamentalists three chapters earlier in the same gospel. So let's do a little biblical exegesis and be okay with that and just know that's not what Jesus is saying. However, he's saying the same thing he said to the rich man. What did he say to the rich man? You've got to change your value system when you step into my community. Your values 
need to be submitted to my kingdom values. I know money is important to you, but money cannot be the most important thing into you when you step into this community, right? I know sexual expression and sex is the most important thing to you right now, but you've got to submit your sexual ethic to Jesus' sexual ethic. There's submission that has to happen when you step into Jesus' community because Jesus, while he still says, uh, you know, he still rebukes religious fundamentalists for leaving their parents, he's not saying disown all your families. He does tell many, many people throughout the Gospels to leave things. Many people, here's just a short list. He tells people to, to leave money, to leave sex, to leave power, to leave anger, to leave bitterness, and to leave certain communities, Look at what R. Alan Cole says in his commentary on Mark. He's a New Testament scholar. He says, everyone who follows Jesus, look at this, they ultimately make the same sacrifice. For everyone must give all that they have. And Christ does not reckon the sacrifice as great or small by the amount given, look, but by the amount withheld for self. So everyone gives everything to Jesus. It's just a matter of the definition of everything for you. Your everything's different than my everything. You're richer than me. I'm richer than you. Whatever, right? I, we have different privileges and opportunities that we have to lay down. But Cole says it best. It's not about the amount given, small or great. It's about the amount withheld. What are you holding on to? What are you withholding as you step into community? See, there's something swimming in the water of my generation and the generations younger than me. That is that we want community, but we want it selfishly. In other words, we want to step into a community that has been individualized to us. I think this is dangerous. I was recently talking about this with a mentor of mine, John Furman, on the phone, and he, he gave me this phrase, individualized community. And it got me thinking down this rabbit trail, and I want to show you this slide that will help you clarify it. In our generation, we want individualized community, which is centered around my personal goals and preferences. In other words, when I step into Awakening or a small group at Awakening, I'm trying to understand and to discern whether they will help me in my own personal goals and the preferences that I hold, the things that I like and dislike, and the places I want to go. So in an individualized community, I define the purpose. But Jesus is calling us to a discipleship community, that is centered around the character of Jesus Christ. It's not centered around you. It's not centered around me. It's centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that together, we show up in a group and we look at Jesus. We don't show up in a group and look at one person. We show up in the group and look at the person, the Godhead, Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we show up doing. I've put it this way before when I've taught on community. When you show up at small group, you should look around the room, look at your small group and go, the only reason we're all here together is Jesus. <laughs> like, I like you, you're pretty cool, you're super old, you're super young and immature. Uh, I don't know if we'd all be friends necessarily, but I know we're all here because we're growing in Jesus. And that's good. That's discipleship community, you see, but we leave communities because they're not meeting our personal preferences because we want everyone to be our same age. We want everyone to see, be our same gender or a different gender, right? <laughs> Looking for a mate. Okay, right? Like we have personal preferences and that's what community means to a lot of people today. That's not discipleship community. Discipleship community is not the group exists for, or, for me. Discipleship community is I exist for the group. 
Individualized community, my needs get primary attention. I'm always bringing up my stuff. I always want to air my grievances. I always want everyone to pray for me because woe is me, I'm having difficulty. And we're trying to pull the attention towards ourselves. I want people to hear my opinions. I just listened to this great podcast and I want to share about this great podcast. I just read this article. I just want to share this great article, right? No, my needs don't get the primary attention. Others' needs get the primary attention. See, you walk in the group, you walk into awakening. If you walk in here today and you go, who's saying hi to me? Instead of walking into awakening and saying, who can I say hi to? So long as you're in the first place, you're not in the discipleship community. And my, 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 my point is, some of you are in the individualized community. I'm not shaming you here. I'm just trying to tell you, this is where Jesus is trying to move us. I mean, this is where Jesus has, has been moving us for all of his ministry. We expect other people to sacrifice for me in the individualized community. We want them to help us move. We don't want to help them move. Instead of I sacrifice for them, right? If, if my needs are not met by this community, that's the final point in the individualized community. If my needs are not met by this community, I leave. After a couple months, it's not going the way I want to. I'm out. But in discipleship community, my needs are actually redefined by the community. Why? Because all of a sudden you start to realize when you're listening, when it's about other people, that your needs can take a secondary position. Because when you're truly listening, when you're interested, instead of trying to be interesting, you look to the people and your needs are changed, right? We've all been there before where we're complaining about like our commute and somebody starts saying that they have cancer. We're like, huh, you know, take a big breath. Community helps contextualize your problems. Community helps reorder your needs. It changes you. You see, in our midweek groups, we are not all gathering for reasons articulated by you. We are all gathering for reasons articulated by Jesus Christ. Primarily that we would learn to deny ourselves in service to God and others. And as we sit in community and we sit in a circle and we inspect the word of God and we pray for each other, that is where we expect God to meet us. The primary function of you being in community is not defined by you, but defined by Christ. He tells us there will be things you have to leave. And as you look to Jesus together, you will wrestle in community going, man, I need Jesus's mercy to help me walk out of this dating relationship. I need Jesus' mercy and my community to help me not make my career an idol. I need the help of my community to break habits. I need the prayer of my community because I am stuck in addiction. And when you hear someone else say this, you're the one to quick to say, we're praying for you today. When you hear somebody else articulate these reasons, is that as they say, man, I'm struggling to leave this, you don't go, wow, that uh, sounds tough. Let me start sharing about my needs now. No, you enter in. Because we are together in a discipleship community where we're centered around Jesus Christ. What, let me ask, as you look at this, individualized versus discipleship, what are you leaving to receive this community? What do you have now that you need to not have in your life in nine months? I believe stepping into true discipleship community and viewing discipleship this way will help you see that roots, you guys, to plant roots, it requires a breaking. 
I told you, in the same way that Jesus was the seed who was planted into the soil, and the only way the seed of the gospel took root was the breaking of the seed who was Jesus, I told you it's going to be the same for us. If you want roots in awakening, if you want community in the Bay Area, you will have to break. You will have to break in order to bond. You will have to reject and renunciate in order to receive. Roots require a releasing of all things. If you have not lost something in your life, I would question whether you're following Jesus. At some point, we've got to lose and change our values. And it's in that kind of defeat that Christ's mercy sets us up again. Finally, number three, is that if we bring everything to Jesus, everyone receives everyone in Jesus. That's the blessing of community. You are saved, you enter into discipleship where you release everything. And it's a, it's a step of faith and you go, God, I don't know how I'm gonna do this Christian thing if I don't put my career first, but I'm putting my career second. Or God, I'm leaving this relationship because I know it's destructive. I'm letting it go. I'm stepping into discipleship. God, this addiction has gotten a hold of me, but I'm now finally holding into accountability and community. God, I'm leaving this right at the very moment that the seed is breaking and you think it's all lost. You realize there's other roots beneath the system. In the soil, you found yourselves looking to your left and to your right, attached to others who have left everything and everyone receives everyone. You see, after we release everything to Jesus, our hands are now open, right? See the metaphor? When we release everything, instead of holding tightly to that which we value, we release it to Jesus. We now have open palms, open hands to receive those who are around us because now our needs have been met in Jesus Christ. And so we can now receive those around us. Look at what Jesus says to this. You know, Peter says, look, Jesus, we left everything and followed you. Aren't we awesome? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. There's no one who's left everything for me who will not receive, look at this verse in verse 30, receive a hundredfold now in this time. I want you to underline that if you're opening your Bible right now. Receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers with persecutions. He says it will be hard. And in the age to come, you will receive eternal life. This is what I want you to see. Now in this time and eternal life. Do you see Peter was focusing on what he was leaving? Jesus was focusing on what he was receiving. In discipleship and in Christianity, we get stuck so much on point number two that we focus on what we must leave instead of realizing that by leaving, we're receiving. Jesus says, if you leave what I'm asking you to leave, you will receive a hundredfold now in this time. Mothers and brothers and sisters, you will leave a certain community and I promise you, this is a word from God into your life, I promise you that you will receive a community you could never even make for yourself. Jesus offers us that which we could not do. Wesley Hill writes this, Peter had to be taught that discipleship isn't a life of focusing on what's lost. The friends, siblings, spiritual parents Peter was, surround, was, uh, was surrounded by were the rewards of the discipleship that he couldn't afford to ignore. 
We focus on what we've lost when we follow Jesus. But Jesus is here today to turn your eyes onto what you might gain. Notice he says a hundredfold. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is here to set you over a hundredfold? You see, it's not one for one. You don't leave a dating relationship for Jesus and get a new dating relationship. You don't leave an addiction and get a new vice in Christianity. You don't do a one-for-one trade. You leave and then receive that which you could have never created on your own, a family, a community of brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and fathers who are in your midst, in this room right now, Community is something we step into, but as we step in, we realize we've received so much more than what we could possibly imagine. You know it works this way because of the gospel. That at the very moment of the seed breaking into the soil, at the point of its death, at the point of the death of the seed, the roots begin to grow. This is the story of our Savior And as certain as the grave is empty, we can be certain that this promise, he says, where we will be a hundredfold will take root. Because with his body in the grave, broken and lifeless, the man Jesus Christ did not find death the end, but the beginning. In fact, at the moment his breath ended, his life began. And if we are a gospel community, we have to remember that the moment of our renunciation begins our salvation that the moment we give it all up, we're just about to receive so much more. That's the promise of Christian community. John 12, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now look at Jesus connects his gospel work to our life. In verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, a change of the value systems. Things will work in this way. Some of you I know are lonely. Many of you are new to this area, new to this church. You've been coming to this church community and right now it's maybe a little scary for you or you may have a kind of nihilism about community. What I mean is what's the point? You look at community and you go, people have let me down in the past. I've been hurt. Church community has not gone the way that I want it to go. Why commit if all these people might leave me? Why commit if I might leave? Why plant roots if I'm just going to be uprooted? Why commit? Well, because this is the very nature of community. We must break and we must release in order to receive. That's the way the gospel works. And that's the gospel community and discipleship community Jesus has offered us into. You know, my wife Allie and I have left two kind of big communities in our life in, the la- in our marriage over the last nine years. We left a community in Portland, and then when we first moved to the Bay Area, we had a community in San Francisco and, and, and moved to Awakening about a year and a half ago. And while I was excited for this new job, which was what brought us here, uh, Allie and I were nervous to start again, I think, I mean, I was, to plant our roots like one more time. But, you know, here we are a year and a half in, and it was funny, my little midweek group on Wednesday nights recently celebrated like a year together, and our first year together. And as we reflected, the joy kind of in the room is really palpable. 
because it's been really a year and a half for my wife and I of joyfully breaking into this community, right? Planting the seed and watching the seed break and planting this roots. And I got to tell you, fruit in our lives is being produced. You know, I had to renounce my individualism yet again. I have to, every time I come to my midweek group, every time we start our midweek group, I've got to renounce my individualism and join with my brand new brothers and sisters that Jesus has given to me. And I receive them every week. As I've abandoned my own pursuits and committed more to my neighbors, I've received a new family. In rejecting the life that I want to live, which is a life of isolation and preferences, I've received a life Jesus Christ has wanted for me one of unexpected siblings, spiritual fathers and mothers that I never could have created myself. Forming a community certainly has meant losses, but strangely, as I look across my time in following Jesus for the last 15 years, these losses are eclipsed by unimaginable gain. I have you, people that I maybe would have never met before because I have trusted Jesus in some way. And so what, this is gonna mean some things for us, you guys. It'll mean that we give up our Wednesdays, Thursday nights maybe to receive brothers and sisters or Thursday mornings, midweek. We might need to give up our house space to create a home for others. We will need to faithfully attend a group each week in order to receive a family each week, right? These are sacrifices, things we have to make. We'll need to forego a way of life to embrace Jesus' way of life. We'll need to reject that which we love to gain what we need most, which is each other. This is what Jesus has offered us now. And look, a life in community, you guys, I'm painting you the picture that it's going to cost you something. A life in community will cost you schedule changes, habit changes, value changes. Let Jesus' word stand. Community will cost you something. There's a cost to community, but listen so carefully. There's a greater cost to individualism. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis in his great book, The Four Loves, where he just talks about the nature of love, of giving your heart away. And he says this, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. For some of us, the commitment of community is a commitment to risk. But that is precisely what love is. What will my life be like if I gave up the very thing I treasure, my independence? What will it be like? Well, what would it be like if you didn't do that? What would it be like if you had a life that continued to carry and embrace your independence? There is a cost to community, but there is a greater cost to individualism. My hope for us now is that we would be broken as a community so we might set roots together, that we would give up that which we love to receive that which we need, and our hearts would change. Our hearts would change to be moldable, shapeable. 
And I invite you to communion now, which is the place where we see the brokenness of Jesus, the blood poured out for us, that as we receive Jesus and the Lord's Supper, we receive his community as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be gentle with us as we struggle in this thing called community, togetherness. Holy Spirit, we need your wisdom and your guidance in this time. Lord, I pray that as we receive your broken body, you would teach us about the breaking of this community. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us courage to take the steps that we need to take. And Lord, I pray that we would also be willing to receive the community that's around us. God, we need your help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.